Pennsylvania has a long tradition of manufacturing centers. They called them ironworks, places where people came together to build things. This podcast is about building and sustaining our democracy. We call it Democracy Works. From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam. And this is Democracy Works. Uh, Chris, we decided today to uh, bring in an expert in constitutional law because uh, it seems like we're hearing a lot these days about constitutional crisis. And uh, yeah, and that is a, uh, a scary word. It's a dramatic word. And we thought it would be useful to um, present some, some clarity and, and some uh, definition to, to these ideas. Right, because we're hearing it quite a bit, but it's rarely actually defined. Right. And maybe it's not being used correctly. I noticed uh, yesterday Robert Reich talked about a constitutional crisis, uh, but it seemed to me that he just wasn't that happy with what's going on. No, that's true. Although his argument is that, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to how you define crisis, right? Is it a, is it a bright line? Is it a, a point at which you can say, at this point it was and then now it is? Or is it something that just kind of develops and grows? I mean, if you – I was thinking uh, driving into this morning about um, – you know, a, a family crisis, right, in counseling. Well, is that when, you know, it comes to blows or is it something else or is there some event? And so I, I think you can actually speak about it both ways. Right. But I think in terms of, um, uh, you know, what a legal scholar would, would bring to the table is that the idea that there is um, something that has happened that um, the Constitution is either not prepared for or something like that. Okay, so uh, we're going to bring in our guest, Judd Matthews. Judd is a uh, associate professor of law at the Penn State School of Law. He's also affiliated with the School of International Affairs, and he's a constitutional law scholar, which neither you nor I are. We should clarify. Yes, yeah. um, um, in spades, we are not. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so but we like to play one on radio <laughs> sometimes. So. Yeah. so, what we are doing is um, uh, um, getting a kind of background and a uh, foundation for this conversation uh, from the context of law, and then we hopefully. Uh, once we've learned from him, uh, we'll uh, reapply that to the idea of or the concept of democracy. So let's bring in Jenna and Judd. Okay. Judd Matthews, thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy Works. Jenna, it's my pleasure. So we're going to cut right to the chase here with uh, the million-dollar question. Right. What is a constitutional crisis? So we can think about the Constitution as being like a roadmap. It it helps us navigate through government. One way to think about a constitutional crisis is a situation where it looks like we really might be about to go off-road. We're going to stop being guided by the Constitution and making decisions about how our government should work. It can come about because uh, it's the Constitution's fault in some uh, situations, or maybe it's it's our fault. So uh, the first, uh, when it's the Constitution's fault, it could be the case that sometimes the Constitution may not tell us how we should handle a given situation. So we are we're kind of on our own to figure it out and puzzle our way through. Fortunately, this doesn't happen a whole lot in our system. The framers were pretty good about thinking about most eventualities that might come to pass. And we also have pretty good mechanisms for deciding disputed constitutional questions. But it's conceivable that situations could happen that we just don't, we just don't know. Uh, the Constitution doesn't tell us what we should do, so we have to make it up. It's also possible that there is a pretty clear constitutional answer to what we should do in a situation, but an important actor just decides to do something different. 
Fortunately, this also doesn't happen a whole lot in the United States. You can think of a very clear example of something that we haven't seen here. Uh, there's an election uh, and the incumbent loses and decides to stay. Right? So that's a pretty clear uh, constitutional crisis caused by an actor just disregarding what the Constitution says. And it's up to everyone else to figure out where do we go from there. So those are you know, a couple of ways we can find ourselves in constitutional crises. Are, are there examples from history where we've kind of been in this, this place of, of, of crisis that might we can kind of think back on as we're trying to, to get our heads around what's, what's happening today? Sure. I think the, the big one, I think the one that everyone would agree was a constitutional crisis, was secession and the Civil War, right? So uh, there was a constitutional theory that the South had that, uh, according to which, you, if you don't like how the uh, union's going, you can just up and, and get out. Um, the Constitution doesn't really tell us what to do when a number of the states uh, decide they're done. Uh, and so that was actually you know, settled by, as we all know, uh, a cataclysmic war. Um, uh, so that's, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty clear constitutional crisis. Listening to Michael and Chris at the outset talk about what's a constitutional crisis. Um, the way I'm defining it uh, is pretty strict. So I wouldn't say there have been a whole lot of constitutional crises by my lights in U.S. history. Um, you know, one could take a broader view of what constitutes a constitutional crisis, and I'd be fine with that, too. But I do think there's reasons why I'm inclined to be pretty stingy with the label of constitutional crisis. One, um, it's the, uh, the uh, boy who cried wolf problem. Right? If we label every serious political turmoil, instance of political turmoil as a constitutional crisis, um, that has a couple of possible bad effects. People get inured to the uh, talk of crises. Um, and uh, then also if something comes along that's really an a, a, a undisputable constitutional crisis, the president issues an emergency decree suspending habeas corpus or the Bill of Rights. We don't have a vocabulary available to talk about that that's meaningfully different from the one we've used for smaller crises. A second reason why I think it's important, why I think there are reasons to be sparing in labeling things constitutional crisis, is when we say that we're in crisis, that licenses some pretty extreme responses, right? So if the constitutional order is in crisis, maybe we should all, um, uh, maybe we should you know, uh, um, you know, pick up our pitchforks. Mm -hmm. So is it something you think that you, we can, we know that a constitutional crisis is, is coming or is it something that we really only realize in, in hindsight once whatever, you know, series of events or, you know, whatever transpires actually happens? It's a great question. I think it's very hard. I think you know, it's it's very hard to, to know what happens next. I mean, just in general, that's a proposition about our own lives and political life right. generally. But I think also at this particular historical moment, uh, it's 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 very hard to to say what what comes next. Yeah. So we've heard President Trump and and some of the the folks who who work for him say that he's he's above the law. He can pardon himself or he can, you know, do any any number of things. Um, do you do you have thoughts on that? Is is the president above the law and right. as as he's kind of defining it? There's an important respect in which the executive branch is not above the law, but responsible to itself only in some respects for the execution of the law. And there are constitutional reasons for that. So the Constitution vests the executive power in the president and gives the president both the responsibility and the power to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And so it follows from that, the Supreme Court has held, and most scholars, that there are limits to what the other branches can do 
to keep the president and the executive branch uh, uh, coloring within the lines, as it were, uh, in carrying out these functions. I think it's distinct from being above the law, right? But it means things, for instance, like uh, it's not Congress's job to appoint a prosecutor to investigate the president. That would be a violation of separation of powers. Um, so I think because, precisely because the Constitution vests a lot of this responsibility for um, deciding, uh, among other things, what cases to prosecute, how the law should be carried out, it becomes very important that the executive branch take this responsibility very seriously. And uh, the executive branch historically has done this in a lot of ways. So there's both a set of norms, some of which are, are not written down about how things run in the executive branch, and also increasingly in the last uh, half century or so in particular, law, sort of internal law to the executive branch about what the processes look like for things like appointing special counsels. Um, so it's uh, some of the things that I think have been concerning about this administration is at best an indifference and at worst a hostility, both to some of these norms and to some of these uh, regulated legal practices, internal procedures for how things operate. Right, yeah, and, and it seems to me to maybe talking about the, this idea of of norms, uh, you know, unlike uh, a law or something that is clear, there's also perhaps no clear consequences either. What happens when these norms are are violated or, you know, things like that? That's right. And what there is, you're right, that there's not law about what happens when the norms are violated. Um, but part of our constitutional design, as I understand it, is that there is a mechanism that's a fundamentally political mechanism for policing the violation of these norms. Uh, and the... It, uh, so, you know, for informally, right, the idea is if the president is uh, not carrying out the duties of the, of the office in an appropriate way, he'll be uh, punished politically just at the polls, right, uh, and that that has some disciplining force. This, the, the, kind of the culmination of this is the impeachment process, which I say described as a political process because it's, you know, it's up to the, the, uh, the House and the Senate what they, there's standards in the Constitution for when you do an impeachment, high crimes and misdemeanors, but the content of that is filled in politically by these branches. And you know, I think the idea of the, the framers is, this is the mechanism that we, that we use to keep uh, officers of the United States, including the president, in line. If they're not doing their job, then they um, are, are removed through this mechanism. So that's a, I mean, that is a mechanism that we, that we have uh, in place politically, but of course it only functions as well as the political system is functioning. One way that um, we might also think about this issue of constitutional crisis is when one branch doesn't kind of obey the other, right? So the courts tell the executive you have to do something, the executive says no, it, you know, it kind of spirals out from there. Um, can, does, does that ring true to you? Can you t kind of talk about um, how that, that, that might play itself out re you know, relating to constitutional crisis? Right. Yeah, I think that's a clear constitutional crisis. Again, it's that example where one branch just does not do something that the Constitution says uh, it must. But we can imagine a situation like where you described where there might be a, a genuine bona fide dispute between different branches of government about what the Constitution requires. So that it's not clear that one is in the wrong necessarily, but uh, that one branch is so convinced of the rightness of its position that it uh, defies our normal procedures for working these things out. And for instance, dis disobeys a court order, including a, an order from the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, so I think that's a, that's, a, that's a bona fide constitutional crisis that we, um, a situation we, we don't want to see ourselves in, and one that has 
really just no great um, end game coming out of that. I don't know what the happy story out of that is when, when you have a, an open defiance of one branch of government by the other. One of the branches of government is going to have its uh, role diminished as a result, or the Constitution is going to be diminished. Uh, one hopes that that's, that's kind of the resolution. In the absence of that, um, it, uh, I think we just have a situation where everyone loses, our whole system of government loses, because um, the Constitution is, is not respected and, one branch, uh, and the authority of one branch of government suffers. Very rare, but not entirely without precedent. During the Civil War, I believe President Lincoln refused uh, an order by the courts to grant uh, to habeas to, to, to free uh, um, someone being held, uh, it being held in the court's view in contravention of the Constitution. Um, so what happened you know, in that case, the Republic went on, right? There was a lot going on constitutionally, a lot kind of crises of different sorts at that time, but we kind of muddled through. The authority of the courts was diminished somewhat as a result, and we eventually got over it. Uh, so hopefully if something like that uh, happened again, we would we'd see our way through. But it's a situation that is where, where um, I think we all lose as a result of that sure. kind of a conflict. Sure. And you know, beyond the idea of, of, of polarization, which is one thing that might prevent some of that, that compromise you mentioned, right. I think the other thing that, that kind of strikes me, too, is that just how quickly everything is moving. So the, the, the law, please correct me if I'm wrong, is usually a very slow moving, very deliberative process. And now we have... You know, we can barely remember what we saw on Twitter two hours ago, <laughs> let alone these really, right. really complex legal questions. I mean, is, is that something that the not that you're like a representative of the legal community <laughs> as a whole, but any me by any means. But is this something that you know, people are kind of thinking about or, or, or talking about how to kind of rectify these legal processes with the climate in, in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the legal community is experiencing this kind of generic phenomenon, which is that it feels like life is on fast forward right now. Our political life, so much is happening so fast in terms of events, in terms of crises, in terms of scandals. Uh, and that's definitely true of the law as well. Um, it is, I mean, I, I think that the net effect, I don't, I don't know what that answer for this is. The net effect of it is, I think, um, it um, has a, um, uh, a numbing effect on legal watchers, watchers of the administration. There's just so much happening so fast, it's difficult to keep track of. Uh, and it makes it difficult to process what are, in fact, some you know, really big deal things. Let me just, just ask a bit, perhaps maybe more of a, of, a, of a personal question. So you've been studying the Constitution for a long time. I'm going to guess that, you know, kind of means something to you. Right. You've, you've chosen it as your life's work. So, um, you know, what goes through your mind or, you know, um, uh, um, um, how does it make you feel when you kind of see these things that might be, if not heading toward constitutional crisis, definitely like eroding constitutional norms. Right. It makes me concerned. It makes me uh, very concerned. One of the, the um, things that I think the president didn't appreciate when he came to power, and then unfortunately I feel like doesn't appreciate uh, still, is the work that's gone into developing a set of conventions and norms around constitutional governance. It takes a long time to put these things together and have a, you know, well-functioning democracy. I get a lot, so many parts of the Constitution and important constitutional issues never see the inside of a court. They're never going to because they're just not fit for resolution by a court. So they're decided and um, managed by the different branches of government. 
And elaborate processes have been put in place to make sure that these are handled sensibly and with respect for tradition and precedent. And the, uh, the president just doesn't show a lot of respect for those precedents and traditions and those processes that are in place. So it makes me concerned uh, about the um, commitment to the rule of law uh, in the executive branch. Um, I will say, even though in lots of agencies, there are lots of vacancies, which is itself a problem, right? You need people and good people to run the government. There are some, there, there continue to be some really, really talented, dedicated public servants in the Justice Department, in the Office of Legal Counsel, uh, and that gives me some solace um, that even if you know, the, the president, who's not a lawyer, and you don't have to be a lawyer, right? you don't have to be a lawyer to be president, you don't have to be a lawyer to care about the Constitution, um, but uh, even if the president is less concerned about uh, constitutional norms than most presidents have been, uh, that there continue to be people on the job who are, uh, and so I'm, I'm hopeful right, that um, the, uh, the government can continue to live up to some of these high standards of fidelity to the Constitution. Judd, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot about what a constitutional crisis is or is not. Um, so thank you for joining us today and for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a very interesting interview, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, interesting and uh, uh, <laughs> presenting a lot of clarity, but also raising a lot more questions and and um, uh, confusion in my mind. Right? I mean, it it you know a lot of the things we talked about, uh, he referenced and and I think kind of reinforced the idea that there is at one point in terms of constitutional crisis, this bright line, but also this, this sense in which it, it, it is legitimate and appropriate to talk about it in terms of gradation and, and rise and fall of, of, of concern. Right, and that's actually where I think the uh, problem of attention comes in, that there's so much going on and it so, feels so chaotic mm -hmm. at times uh, that I think maybe people start to sort of tune out and start to lose track or lose sight of these gradations and what's happened gradually. And, and, and it, there's only so much that the human brain can kind of uh, keep in its head. <laughs> or that the new <laughs> you know, cycle can take Right, in. right, right. And so a lot of things just get dro dropped that, uh, you know, are, are astonishing, right? And would have been astonishing a year ago. Yeah, so he, he uh, Judd wants us to think a little bit about norms mm -hmm. as well and mm -hmm. not just thinking about crises is right. one thing. And, and of course, uh, we've uh, earlier uh, we talked with Daniel Ziblatt, who also mm -hmm. talked about the decline of, of democratic, democratic norms. And this is something I think the public has a little bit of trouble understanding. And Judd touched on pieces of this that I see as particularly important. And that's to say, you know, an institution might have a power, mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean they should be using it. And one of the norms that I think we've really seen violated, and this is not just Donald Trump, is that institutions are pushing their pushing what they're able to do to the extremes. Mm -hmm. And this is where you get this violation. Or, for example, I mean, going back to Mitch McConnell's refusal to uh, 
entertain the uh, Garland nomination right. that that Donald that I'm sorry that Barack Obama made. That's in their constitutional capacity right. to do that. Right. It's obviously legal. It's it's obviously legal, but it's a violation of a norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you don't take this power to its extreme right. and just deny the executive branch its appointment powers. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I actually was thinking about uh, Ziblatt and uh, Lewinsky's book as he was talking because, you know, the, his argu- their argument is that we're not going to see, and democracies don't usually see tanks rolling down the street. Right. What they see, what happens is that democracy, democracies slowly erode, and they're replaced slowly but surely by authoritarianism. And so the argument, I mean, so you know, judge right. Author- authoritarianism often comes in through democratic exactly, means. and yeah. and and is even authorized by it, and in many instances, it's done in completely legal ways, right? And so the argument that I would want to make to Judd is, you know, his argument about Boy Who Cried Wolf and uh, and the idea that if you're going to throw around the word crisis, there's going to be um, a kind of upping the ante in terms of what's an appropriate response. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But the opposite side of that is that if you're not prepared to call out a crisis, it means you may not be uh, um, responding in an appropriate way to this erosion, right? Right. And, and also part of what we might be calling constitutional crises or constitutional problems are really political crises. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, uh, you know, the Constitution very clearly, and, and Madison lays all this out, uh, establishes branches of government in conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. That conflict was seen as the essential protection against tyranny. Right. The only check on power is power. Is power. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, you, you wanted to give each branch enough power to be able right. to adequately check. But, but the framers didn't really anticipate parties. And in fact, they feared parties. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't like the idea of parties. Yeah. And we might be seeing part of the problem with that <laughs> because you, what, what, what is happening is that we have an institution, the Congress, that has a constitutional responsibility and the power to check the president, to oversee the president, uh, to forestall some of what people are fearing. Right. One of the things about norms that guide our everyday life in much of what we do is that you don't really recognize them. You don't really think about them. They're just norms. Right. They structure behavior. They mm-hmm. structure institutions. But we don't really think about it. Right. And that's one of their, their, their virtues, right? You don't have to think about it. Right. Them. But when they start being eroded, we're not necessarily so attuned to them mm-hmm. because we don't really think about them that much. And they're not really, in effect, doing anything wrong because they're not doing anything illegal. They're not doing anything that violates the Constitution. Right. But it's very corrosive to our politics, right. as we've we've talked right, about right, right. today and on other shows. And and so you get this sense that, you know, the Constitution is um, the the absolutely extremely well designed foundation for a politi- for our political culture, and it is it is does not exist in a vacuum. It cannot out, uh, operate outside the context of culture, of polarization, of um, partisanship. And it's o- and, and so all of this is, a, is of a piece, and all of it is right now, um, I, I guess I would say threatened in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. Well, on that hopeful note, <laughs> uh, from, uh, from, uh, from the McCourtney from- <laughs> Institute for Democracy on the uh, campus of Penn State University, this has been Democracy Works. 
I'm Chris Beam. So, oh, you know what else we have to do is we have to uh, give a shout out to our, our intern, summer intern this year. And to interns everywhere. And to interns everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, and Gabby Ross has been doing a really good job for us uh, in terms of the podcast, especially, and uh, doing engineering, a lot of, uh, lot of legwork, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been Democracy Works. Thank you.